Welcome to Welcome to Westview. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 1, Episode 8 of WandaVision, Previously On. Yes, okay, so... Before we get into this... Sure, well, even before we get into... Even before we get into it, yeah, you just said season one, episode eight, and I just wanted to say that it has been announced that this is going to be a one and done show. There is going to be oh. no season two. Good. Yes, we are both glad for that because it means that they can tell a good, coherent story and then finish that story. That's good. That is good. My thing was going to be, how much are we going to talk about the internet backlash to this episode? Because... Mm. I kind of want to avoid it because I really like this episode, and then I spent not an insignificant amount of time trying to fight the urge to argue with people online about not the episode itself, but people's reactions to other people's reactions to the episode, and it's just like... Yeah, here's what I want to say. Okay. That's a great line. The the line that people are talking about the what is grief if not the perseverance of love. Mm. And that's a great line. And it's a beautiful line. But don't you know, other people have said other things about grief and love before. Therefore, this is bad, I guess. Here's the thing. One rando on the internet got super, super excited about that line. And then people just started mocking that person's excitement. And can we just not do that? Can we just not mock other people's excitement? Okay, I got into this. I almost got into this big thing with a mutual of mine about that Mm -hmm. earlier. And I want to get this out of the way now so we can just talk about the episode. I don't think I was wrong in what I said, but I apologized because some people thought I came off too hot, too aggro, as someone said. Okay. And like... We have a baby. I don't have time to argue with people on the internet about the nuances of respecting other people's opinions or not. No, is it okay for people not to like things? Is it okay for people to like things? I, honest to God, don't have time for that anymore. We have a baby. So I'm just... Oh, we also have a podcast, so you're going to get into it here? No, no, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not using... I'm using a little time for that. Mostly what I'm saying is mute people... If there are people you generally like online, but they're being unduly harsh about other people liking this show, maybe just mute them for a while. Mm, Yeah. I actually, towards the end of Game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. I was, as somebody who had quit the show, and had quit the show in anger, I... Got angry then seeing people talking about it online all the time, which was just constant. Mm. So I just muted a whole bunch of words. Like I didn't, I didn't mute people. I just muted a bunch of words. Like if you looked at my mute list, it was like Game of Thrones, GOT, Dragon, Dragons, Sansa, Arya, <laughs> like every every main character's name. I just, I just muted everything. See, that's harder to do for Wandavision because people talk about it in roundabout ways. So. That's true. That's true. And it's like, okay, I'm just going to put this out there just, you know, really plainly. Hmm. I don't care if people don't like the show. I care about people being shitty to people who do. Yes. And apparently that came off as an attack. Well, that's what I'm saying. This whole thing was just piling on this one random person who 
was overly enthusiastic about a good line. Yeah. Like, I really like that line. I emotionally connected to that line. Didn't stop me from making memes out of it. Well, you can make memes and not be being a jackass to somebody who was excited about a show they liked. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. They showed their excitement in a particularly memorable way that was easily memed. Mm. That that was their downfall. That was the real downfall. Remember, the biggest sin is liking something on the internet. Oh, uh, well, I, I think that the, for me as an elder millennial, that was definitely a thing. I, I think that... Millennials in general, and definitely Gen Z, Hmm. are not doing that anymore. That you're allowed to like things again, that you don't have to be ironically detached from things, and I am excited for that new world. Or maybe I'm just older and I don't give a fuck anymore. Hmm. I'm not sure which of those it is. I don't know, cringe culture's a thing, but... Yeah, I guess that's true. But this episode of WandaVision was really good and it tied basically everything together. Okay, so it did. This is a really good episode. I just want to say this episode also punched me in the gut. Mm. And I saw at least one person who I'm friends with online who was talking about how she had to turn it off halfway through. Not because it was bad, but because it was so emotional. She needed to like Mm. recover and like come in ready for it. One of the things which I know, since I apparently follow a bunch of people who don't like this show, I know an issue a lot of people were having was that they didn't emotionally connect in there, you know? You mean early on, before this episode? No, specifically with this episode. and I don't know what to say to that. Yeah. uh, And it's one of those things where I'm like, something's not bad just because you didn't emotionally connect to it. Like, not everything clicks for everyone. Sure. And this struck me as raw in definitely a way the MCU has not been up to this point. But it's sort of a part of grief, I feel like, doesn't really get depicted in media all that often. Mm -hmm. Which I'm sure I'll get tons of... Well, probably not, because I feel like we have a good audience, but... I know the default. I'm sorry, I keep on responding to internet people, which I shouldn't do, but I know a lot of people are like, you know, oh, watch another movie or, you know, watch something that's not MCU if this isn't familiar to you. But I feel like I don't really see a lot of this sort of specificity in dealing with grief and honestly, not just grief, specifically depression. I had a friend in college, I'm going to keep it vague, the friend's not me, I know whenever you say a friend it's usually you, it wasn't me in this case, but I had a friend who would occasionally go through depressive episodes and we used to, we used to just sit there and watch genre shows, we'd watch Xena, we'd watch Buffy, Mm -hmm. and so this really struck me as, yeah, this is one of the things, one of the facets of grief is just emerging yourself into a universe where you know the rules. Yes. Yeah, I actually saw a TikTok sound about that this week. People talking about, I I always thought I related to these different characters in the MCU, but apparently I relate to Wanda because I too deal with my grief by escaping into television shows. Which 
Honestly, the closest I can really think to it is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. As far as portraying... As far as portraying coping with grief through losing yourself in these fictional narratives that follow these very set patterns just because it's comfortable to submerge yourself into worlds that work by very specific rules. Sure. And that's also literally the plot of Dancer in the Dark, which is a very grim one and done you cannot watch this movie a second time because it is so depressing movie Mm. but it's explicitly what it's about bjork escaping the world by going into again like crazy ex-girlfriend musicals Mm. god i guess this that zach schneider movie the one about the girls who are in sucker punch yeah i guess sucker punch is kind of about that too (sighs) i feel like this is different from that though because from those though because well sucker punch is her recontextualizing her reality. It's a girl in an asylum recontextualizing her reality in different ways that she feels more capable of handling it. Yes, okay, when you say it that way, that is technically what the plot is, but it's really just a series of music videos loosely strung together in an excuse to show exploitative crap with different girls yes so uh, the women don't really have the kind of agency in the construction of that film to say that they're escaping into anything yeah but 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 yes if you just talked about what the plot of it is yeah but wandavision is different because it's very specifically tv which is i mean definitely now with the pandemic and all but it's definitely sort of the outlet for depression. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really get talked about much outside of the, you know, oh, a character is depressed, so we see them watching TV. So I think I've actually talked about this on the podcast before. Not this podcast, but a different one. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not a friend. This is me. But when I went through a really serious depressive episode when I was in college, one of the things that made me kind of realize how low how bad my depression had gotten was when i realized that comedy central and this is this is 1999 so comedy central is relatively new Mm -hmm. when i realized that comedy central had 12 hours of programming because i watched all 12 hours and then it cycled back to the same thing and i watched the exact same 12 hours again and that's like the thing that I think of as being emblematic of that particular depressive episode. So, well, I guess I, I do relate really strongly to Wanda. Yeah, it's, again, it's one of those things where it's fine. Like, I don't care if people don't like it. It's just this connects to a very specific nerve. Mm-hmm. So people being actively mean about it to other people on the internet feels cruel in a way people not liking media doesn't normally feel cruel. Yes. Yes. I think that the people who are connecting with this show are connecting with it on a very, very raw personal level. Hmm. Also, just to throw this out there, when you say that there's that kind of stock internet response of, I'm begging you watch another movie, read another book. Yeah. I think that part of the problem with Disney buying up and owning everything and making the world into Disney slash Star Wars slash Marvel Mm -hmm. is that 
when there's something like this that honestly, let's let's be frank here, this is kind of a niche show. The audience is not prepped for it to not be for them. A- anybody who is watching this who doesn't get it doesn't it, there's this confusion, this wait. How is this not for me? It's on Disney Plus. It's got the flashy Marvel logo at the beginning. Well, there's something that Zachary from Xavier Files, who is a great guy, I follow, he follows. There was something he mentioned where he was talking about how it's just, it's weird to see people talking about this show like it's this big revelatory changing everything thing when it's something that like he watches with his nine-year-old and his nine-year-old gets it and i would argue that simplicity doesn't make a story bad yeah that there's nothing wrong with the story being straightforward especially because (sighs) sort of despite what we're told grief is often a very simple emotion Grief can be complicated, but sometimes it's not. And this, I get it. It's annoying when people are like, oh, this is the next, um, what's it called? The David Lynch TV show. Um, Twin Peaks? Yeah, this is the next Twin Peaks. When it's not, it's always been very, yeah, apparently that's a take. I feel like a lot of the people who I see respond negatively to WandaVision are responding to takes I don't see because I don't follow many people. Mm. But... WandaVision is a very straightforward show. Okay, so people saying that this show is the next Twin Peaks, which I have not heard, and I am going to throw this out there right now. Mm -hmm. This is a very simple show, and it's about a woman dealing with grief. And if we're going to be watching it like it's a mystery box show and trying to figure it out when there's not really anything to figure out at this point it's a show about grief then we're gonna be disappointed next week it's gonna be the lost finale all over again so we need to go into this finale wanting emotional closure but not looking for there to be some wild twist yeah like we have been treating this like a mystery show. We've talked about our theories. We've talked about all the stuff that theoretically went into this show. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this episode is wrapping everything up. Yeah, I don't feel like there are... I, I don't feel like there are any more mysteries left to unpack. Yes. Every, all of the pieces have been put into place. And this is just everything concluding. I feel like it is a straightforward show. I think that's a good thing. I think it did, it set out to do one thing and it did it very well. And I think this show is something interesting and new in that it's Disney allowing itself to experiment with a major property and not choose the most palatable path. And that is exciting to me because, as I just stated, they own everything now. So. Yeah. And that's that's the other thing where people, with the general backlash to it, where people are like, um, you know, well, Disney's this giant evil corporation, and they're shutting everything down, and they're destroying copyright, and it's like... Those things are all true. Those things are all true. Those are all true things. Disney is a giant evil corporation that's swallowing everything it can and destroying everything else, and it's screwed up copyright just so much. But that doesn't mean that 
sometimes they make good things. I mean, what what's the what's that one quote? The uh, we're not setting out to make art or beauty or something. We're setting out to make money. Right. In, in the course of you know trying to make money, we may make art, we may make beauty, but that is not what we're endeavoring to do. Was that actually from Disney or was that Michael Eisner? It was Michael Eisner. I, I slaughtered the quote, but that was... But I think that that quote that I first saw it and that I first saw an in-depth discussion of that quote in the Lindsay Ellis video about saving Mr. Banks. Mm-hmm. It was that video, right? I believe so. I don't know. She's done a lot of Disney. Uh... I, I just I just want to credit the who who exposed me to that. I th- and, and I know it was Lindsay Ellis. I think it was in the Saving Mr. Banks video. Hmm. But I feel like this is a good example of of making something very beautiful out of a commercial motive. Yeah. This is to sell Scarlet Witch toys. You know what? I freaking hope so because you know there's been an issue with them not making toys of I'm sorry, I should have said this is to make uh it's going to be to make Vision and maybe Norm toys. <laughs> what was it like? You couldn't buy a Ray toy despite her being the main character of... Yeah, yeah. There were no Ray toys when Star Wars The Force Awakens first came out. Until uh, until they did Forces of Destiny or whatever, which... Yeah, when they made the Star Wars Barbie dolls. Yeah, which... I'm sorry, Jenny Nicholson did a whole very good video about that, but we can't get into that. We should actually talk about this episode of WandaVision. I know, and this is an extra long episode, too. So the fact that we have this huge lead up to it and we haven't even started talking about it yet. (laughs) So the intro reminds us that Wanda and Pietro were radicalized after their parents were killed when they were children during the very nondescript war in vague uh, Eastern Europe. Sokovia. Yes, but vague Eastern Europe in general. One of the things, obviously later retcons have confirmed Wanda and Pietro to be Romani Mm -hmm. uh, in the comics, but for the first few decades, I'd say, of their existence, they were just from vague Eastern Europe. Yes. It's not great. But you're not trying to excuse the whitewashing that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has done, though, just to be clear. Just to be clear. No, no. They've been... Even even through the parental retcons, they've been Romani for the past while. Mm-hmm. It's just this... Especially in this episode, this episode seems to be trying to retroactively insert more comics canon into the MCU. And I feel like sort of the emphasis on their roots in this kind of Eastern European thing is kind of hearkening back to what their lives were like. And it's definitely closer to their origins than the Fox X-Men movies were. God. Evan Peters did a really, really great job of being Tommy Shepard in those movies. Because <laughs> he's he's aggressively Tommy Shepard in those movies. I mean, he was so enjoyable to watch. Like, I don't want to blame him or in any way. Yeah, I mean, he was kind of the highlight of that era of X-Men movies. Yeah. 
He did what he was directed to do very well. It's the writing that's the issue. Yeah. So, let's start on this episode. We open in Salem, Massachusetts in 1693. So, this is one of the things that was vaguely spoiled by people talking about, like, oh, there's an onset thing of Catherine Hahn being, you know, in an old-timey village. Like, that was circulating around i honestly forgot about it with everything else that was going on i don't think i ever saw that spoiler but uh well it was one of those people talking about set stuff and it's like you never know if that's true too well and even if it was true it could mean other things it could be them doing a television show that does cutaways or something like that yeah i freaking love this mislead because Agatha's being dragged through the woods by this group of people in cloaks and she gets tied to a stake where that's surrounded by torches and an old woman asks her if she's a witch she says yes she is a witch and the woman says but you betrayed your coven swerve it turns out that yeah this this is not a regular witch burning agatha has been down to some dark shit and her coven is not happy about this So she tells us that she was doing dark stuff, but the thing that they are upset about, the thing that they claim they're upset about, is that she gave secrets to mortals, which is what they were mad at Agatha for back in the comics. Yes, that is explicitly what the Salem Seven burned her for uh, in The Year in the Life, specifically her teaching Wanda Maximoff magic, because they considered it her taking the secrets of New Salem and giving them to the mortal world. I like the implication that there was someone before Wanda that Agatha was training up. Like there was some proto-Scarlet Witch in the 1600s that could have been yeah, the Scarlet Witch. So the witches start chanting, the torches burst into flame, and Agatha begs the head of the coven. Who is her mother to stop them to stop this and her mom's like nope come on everyone blast away blast my daughter to death and at first it looks like all of the electricity these witches are shooting at agatha is really messing her up and then mm, reverse card (laughs) uno reverse yeah so they're they're sending this blue energy beam at her and she as you said, Uno reverse cards. It We see this, like, red energy welling up inside of her, and then the blue electricity turns purple. And I just really like the color theory consistency here. Yeah. And it becomes clear that she has reversed the streams, reversed the polarities, and that this is causing pain to the other witches who are trying to burn her we actively see her drawing life force out of them and she's like are we still doing this you can stop this you can stop this they don't she finishes them off i mean she pretty she pretty uh thoroughly kills basically all of the coven by all all except her mother by drawing their power into her We see one of them fall to the ground and be like a desiccated corpse. Yeah. And she's like, mother, are we going to talk about this? We, how are we going to move forward from this point? And the mom's like, more energy blasts. And she gets this kind of cool energy crown thing around her head. Yeah, I really like this effect. 
But Agatha is again able to take control and send energy back against her mother and kill her. I assume that... Well, well she pulls the energy into herself again. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I assume that when she killed the rest of the coven, she pulled some of their energy in, and that's why she was able to overtake her mother. And yes, you're right. We do see her kind of taking energy from her mother. Mm. And not just energy. Yeah, she goes over to her mom's dead, deceased corpse, and she takes off the, the necklace and this little uh, cameo amulet thing we've seen her just have. Yep. And then we... Come back to the present, where Agatha is stroking her rabbit in a very supervillain manner. Okay, okay. Senor Scratchy. Yes, I forget who pointed it out. I feel so dumb for missing this the entire show. It's obviously a reference to her son, Nick Scratch. Yes, although I don't... I think it's just an Easter egg. I don't think he is her son transformed into a rabbit. Yeah, yeah, but... That's something I should have picked up on right away, because Agatha Harkness's son is Nick Scratch, and yes. she has a rabbit named Senior Scratch. Yeah. I, I actually didn't get it until somebody said, did Agatha turn her son into a rabbit? And I said out loud to myself, does this person think the rabbit is Nick Scratch? Senior Scratchy, oh my god! That was how I had the realization. <laughs> so... I love this scene so much because it's basically just Agatha dressing down Wanda for being shitty at being a witch. Because she's like, I can feel you trying to get into my head. Don't you recognize the runes I have on the wall? Where did you go to witch school? This is some, like, witchcraft 101 shit. This is actually really nice for establishing that Wanda has all of this power, but she hasn't been traditionally trained. And that there are such a thing in this world as traditionally trained witches. So Wanda may have more power than Agatha. She probably does. But since Agatha is a trained witch and has lured Wanda down here where she's surrounded by protection runes, she is able to take the upper hand in this discussion. I do really love Agatha throughout this episode. She has a whole kind of evil therapist thing going on. And her whole discussion with Wanda here, I know she's going to be the villain of the piece. There are some people out there who are expecting another like swerve. I have something to say about that when we talk about listener reactions at the end of this podcast. Okay. But I love how she's talking to Wanda like she's teaching her she had like I, I said evil therapist which is sort of her throughout the episode but in this scene it's more evil professor oh i i was gonna go back further i was gonna say it's more she's a teacher who is working with a student who's having trouble grasping a very simple problem mm -hmm. where she's very clearly trying to help but she's also frustrated that the student is having this much difficulty with something this simple. She grabs an insect from around and she starts demonstrating very simple spells on the insect that are like micro versions of the spells Wanda has cast on everyone in the town. She's like, look, see, this is this is like a mind control hex. It's very simple. It's incredibly easy to do on, you know, the small-minded, this is a basic transformation charm. 
you know, you would do this to, say, change your clothes or change the shape of a very simple life form. But you seem to be doing this shit to everyone in an entire town. And that takes a lot of magical chutzpah. Yeah, well, when we saw Agatha all the way down at the edge of town before... It turns out she was down there because she was trying to see how far Wanda's powers spread. And apparently, they spread all the way out to the edge of town, practically. I mean, she had slightly less control, but she was still taking over. And Agatha wants to know, where is all this power coming from? And Wanda's like, I don't know. And Agatha takes the uh, the insect, which she had transformed into a bird, and she throws it to Senior Scratchy, who just eats it. Yes! And Agatha starts kind of mystically smacking Wanda around, and she's like, for crying out loud, look, you don't have power here, I do, you've got something going on, but I can't just mystically crack your head open and drink your spicy little witch secrets, so... Oh, or can she? Hmm. So I've been having to do this the long way around. You know, I've been coming at you from different angles, I had your not-brother, you know... I had to I had to futz around some because your brother's in a different country and full of holes. So, you know, I just grabbed someone. I layered a whole bunch of different charms on him so you might fall for it. So maybe you tell him how you managed to get this whole thing set up because this is just... This is some incredibly next-level magic and you seem like just so freaking basic. <laughs> oh. Then Agatha takes one of Wanda's hairs, never let a witch take your hair like that, mm. and uses it to open a doorway to what she says are going to be some real reruns. Mm. Okay, just just a little thing. Mm-hmm. How much do you love Catherine Hahn just being witch classic here? Um, all of it. I love all of it. Because... I love it all of the much. Yeah, not to continually go back to Agatha Harkness being an EC comics witch in the comics, but it feels really true to the comics to have her be a uh, old-school Halloween cackling witch. Mm-hmm. I mean, I posted on our Facebook page that video I found on YouTube of someone who just took all of the best Jen Barkley stuff, Catherine Hahn's character on Parks and Rec, and oh, put it into great. one long montage and she is just so great at playing that very specific, sinister turn. Yes. So now that Agatha has opened the door to Wanda's past, they go through and they see Wanda and her family, her mother and her father, back when she was 10 years old. Yes, this is back in their apartment in Slovakia, in the tenement they lived in. The Sokovia. Sokovia, sorry. Their father... Wanda and Pietro's father has a business where he he sells, God, what would you say, selling... bootleg American DVDs? Yeah, although I'm not sure if they're bootlegged or if they're, they're probably bootlegged or, or like, yeah, I guess that is what he does. Yeah. But before he goes out and sells them, you know, in the world, they do a family English night where they just watch the DVDs you know, over and over again until he sells them. And, you know, and everyone has to speak English. You know, it, it's 
uh, honestly, I, I don't know. I don't have a lot of ESL experience because E was my primary L. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's not a super uncommon thing to learn how to speak English from TV. No, I don't, I don't think that's uncommon at all. Also, I would like to point out that in the MCU television show Agent Carter, mm-hmm. we see the the Black Widows, right? That's the, yeah. Okay, we we see the Black Widows being trained in a flashback, and they're all in a school watching Snow White over and over again to learn English. And the God, it has to be the worst movie to learn English too. Well, it was. Time period appropriate. Yeah, but I just she had that weird voice. The yeah, she does have a very high pitched voice. Yeah, but the sinister school nature of that versus the safe haven family nature of this, I think, is worth noting. Yeah, we do see young baby Pietro, who, unlike fake Pietro in the flashbacks, does not have silver hair as a child. Yes, and we do, and we also see that outside there is something going on. There is some unrest happening, but it seems like the Maximovs are going to try to distract their children, which is good parenting. Yeah, it's what you do. The mom briefly peeks outside to see basically kind of the background of the trick or treating flashback. From, yeah, from that episode, it's it's a it's a burning car. There's civil unrest, but she she pulls the curtains and she's like, "Wanda, it's your turn to choose. What do you want to watch?" And Wanda wants to watch the Walnut episode of the Dick Van Dyke Show, which, according to Pietro, is what she always wants to watch. She always wants to watch sitcoms, and she always wants to watch this episode. I don't think of this as really like the best episode of the dick van dyke show it's memorable it's it's a, it's a memorable episode but it's a classic because of that scene where uh where mary slide where mary tyler moore slides in on the walnuts yes yeah. but also in the in the 90s on new year's eve i don't know if they still do this but in the 90s on new year's eve they would do a nick at night countdown where they counted down the best episodes of old television of whatever was in there you know, library, their catalog. Mm -hmm. And that show ended up in the top few many times. I I saw that episode when I was watching those, those specials Mm. as a child. I feel like the Dick Van Dyke show has aged better than a lot of comedies just because it relied so much more on sort of the chemistry between Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore. And also there's a lot of physical comedy, which ages the best. Yeah. Yeah, and also, definitely. And also, Dick Van Dyke is just so charming. He really is. Oh, in fact, I'm going to throw out here, people have been theorizing that he's going to show up for a cameo in the next episode, and I just want to get on board co-signing that, that guess that we're going to see Dick Van Dyke do some sort of cameo in the I, finale. I would like that. He is roughly 700 years old right now. He did a cameo in the new... Mary Poppins movie. His face did a cameo in the new Mary Poppins movie. I am very, very sure that, you know, they just superimposed him over someone else's body. Well, we only need his face for this. God, he's so talented. I'm just saying Dick Van Dyke seems like a nice dude. Maybe let him relax a little bit. So, Wanda talks about how she likes these shows because 
they can be scary and they can be a little silly, but at the end of the day, everybody's happy and everything turns out okay. And I, I think that's the real reason they chose this episode, because this is a scary episode. Well, she talks because they're using they're using the show as a way to learn English, and she talks about mischief and hijinks and shenanigans, shenanigans, and because Pietra's like, "What does it mean? What 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 what, what does shenanigans mean?" And she's like, "Well, it's a problem, but a fake problem, a problem that only gives you pretend worry, a problem that you know is going to be resolved in a way that ends with everyone being happy." Yes. Well, and and this particular episode is a scary episode. It feels like it's almost a takeoff on, you know, Twilight Zone. Yeah. Because Rob is watching a scary movie and he's tormenting Laura by... Describing. Yes, describing the scary movie. And then all of the things he saw in the movie start to really happen to him and... In the end, it's all it was all a dream sequence. Mm. In the end, it was all a dream. God, Mary Taylor Moore really got in on that physical comedy. Like, I feel like you don't see a ton of women who do that sort of physical comedy, especially back then. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you've got your Lucille Balls. Yeah, but this more kind of slapsticky. Lucille Ball did slapsticky stuff. Yeah. But, like, it wasn't, like, a super common thing. No, that's true. I and mean, even today, it's 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 a delicate thing to be a, a female comedian. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say you didn't see a lot of it, but I guess you also didn't see a ton of female comedians, so. Yeah. Although, what what what's her name on the Dick Van Dyke show was also the Rosemarie, I think, mm-hmm. that actress. She was, she was freaking hilarious. Well, it makes me think about how Phyllis Diller talked about... In her career, she was careful that she didn't want to be the pretty girl because once you were the pretty girl, it was hard to get people to take you seriously as the funny girl. Mm. Like, Phyllis Diller was... I I wouldn't say she was ugly. No, not at all. She wasn't traditionally attractive, but she had to play up how unsexy she was. To be taken seriously in comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're watching the Walnut episode, and then... The conflict outside comes in. There's an explosion. It knocks the wall of their tenement down. Wanda and Pietro survive. Their parents don't. Yes. And we get the scene that we've heard about of Wanda and Pietro hiding under the couch, staring at the missile with Stark Industries stamped across it. And Pietro's like, we can't move we can't leave we can't leave because whatever's going outside out there we will die if we go out there but we can't stay here because that bomb will explode and it will kill us i don't know what to do and wanda starts talking about the plot of the episode that they were watching the walnut plot Mm -hmm. where she's like look it seems bad but it's it's going to be okay it's it's fake bad yes you just have to know that this is going to end and we're going to be okay. And Agatha Harkness, who's been watching the scene as sort of an outside observer, points out, you cast your first spell there. Yes, and she says it was a probability hex. Yeah. There was a chance that the bomb wouldn't go off 
and you made the bomb not go off. You made that chance be what happened. And I just... Everyone has talked to death the fact that the MCU didn't seem clear on what Wanda's powers are. And I just love the thought that this whole show emerged from them trying to explain what her powers are. And be like, oh, okay, here's how her powers work. Really? I I feel like the problem with Wanda's powers in the MCU have been that they haven't been her powers. No, no, that's what I mean. They're like, let's fix that. Let's explain. Yeah, because... As Maria Hill described, you know, in the she's fast, he's weird. Like, Other she's way like, around. Yeah. He's fast, she's weird. She was like, uh, Wanda Maximoff, telepath and telekinetic. And it's like, that's not what she does at all. Those, those are those are not her powers. But I do like that Agatha's like, look, this was a basic ass spell. Like, congratulations, you had some magic as a kid. But without training... She she talks about that uh, grape dying on the vine. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's more like without training, she would have been bush league. Or, yeah, like I mean, she probably it probably would have gone, uh, assuming that she hadn't been in the middle of this war and that she had been not found and had her magic trained up. Then what probably would have happened is she would have just gone through life being exceptionally lucky. You yeah. know, like. Things tend to go right for her. Agatha doesn't say it as such, but she, her her implication is like, look, this is an incredibly basic spell that you did. It required no training. You just, you know, you focused on an outcome you wanted and you made it happen. Mm-hmm. You just increased the odds that the bomb wouldn't go off until they were basically 100%, which... As Beast said in one of the Avengers Disassembled things, the reason we call Wanda's powers probability manipulation is because it sounds so much less scary than what she actually does, which is alter reality. Yes. Agatha takes us out of that scene and to the Hydra facility where Wanda and Pietro ran up. And honestly, between just explaining the probability hex and now bringing Wanda over to Hydra, she just really is kind of smoothing over all of the problems with the MCU translating the comics. Because she says, it doesn't make sense that you were upset about the bombing and so you joined a terrorist organization? And Wanda's like, we were trying to bring down the system. We didn't know what Hydra was. Yeah. Also, I know we love we love a witch Agatha, Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that her outfit has kind of transitioned as she's been taking Wanda through time. And now it's like a black t-shirt and black pants with pockets. And she's just like leaning back against the wall, all casual. <laughs> you know, I, I talked about her as being Wanda's evil therapist. And I still think that kind of holds true. But I don't want to say that she cares about Wanda per se, but... Wanda's, like, unnerved when they enter the Hydra facility, and she's like, don't be scared. You've already lived through this. This is just a memory. It can't hurt you. Yeah. I mean, mentally it can, but, yeah, You survived this once. And we see what we know happened to Wanda, or what we thought happened to Wanda, her getting her powers from the Mind Stone. Mm-hmm. But it's not her getting her powers, but rather her powers being enhanced the way they would have been with training, except... Just got, she she just, she took the, 
the warp level with the uh, with the Infinity Stone instead. The Infinity Stone is kind of taking the place of Kython in this story because one of the things with Wanda's powers in the comics is that she sort of skipped all of the ordinary witch stuff mm-hmm. because when she was born on Mount Wandagore, she was sort of chosen to be the mortal host of the demon god Kython. Sure, sure. And so basically he imbued her with his power to kind of prepare her body to contain, you know, a demon god. Yeah, I mean, tying that into the mind, having that kind of happen with the Mind Stone instead of bringing a whole other plot in, that works really well for me, for the MCU. I don't get what Hydra is doing. I mean, I get it in the, you know, I sort of get it vaguely, you know, oh, Loki used this, you know, as a mind control thing. Maybe we could use that to our advantage. I don't get why having random civilians come in and touch it is part of that. Like after the, I don't know, fourth one exploded, don't you think that you might want to do something different? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they've had volunteers in here before. Wanda's the first person who's been able to survive contact with the Mind Stone. Which makes sense. We know that from the MCU. We know that the Infinity Stones will destroy you unless you do a little dance. Like in Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) Well, I mean, explicitly with that, it's because Peter Quill was the son of Ego the Living Planet. He was basically a demigod, and that's the reason he didn't... I I know, I know. Yeah. You know, I don't really know what their plan was. Um, Let's just chuck bodies at it until something happens. (laughs) As an underground terrorist organization, I feel like they would have less bodies to chuck at things than, say, the military. Because mm. the military went through a lot of guys trying to make a super soldier serum. But it, it it doesn't matter. It worked. It works finally. Now, the Mind Stone is what powers vision, too, right? Honestly, wouldn't have it? Have, I, I feel like it kind of would have made more sense if Wanda had gotten her powers from, like, the Soul Stone. Well, sure, but they didn't have access to the Soul Stone. Point. I like that Wanda and Vision are thus tied together. Mm. You know, they both kind of came into their power as a result of the Mind Stone. Just like thematically, when you're doing a, a series of movies like this, you can tie in things in a cool way like that that you can't when you're doing comics that take place over, you know, that are written, rather, over decades and decades. So... A lot of people have had a lot of ideas about this scene because Wanda enters the room and the Mind Stone flips out. Mm -hmm. She doesn't even get the chance to get close to it. It hones in on her. And I don't think the guys from behind the glass really see what goes on because it, it disconnects itself and it flies over to her and it shows her... A lot of people think it's a vision of herself... As the Scarlet Witch. Yeah, it's a woman floating, but we only see the silhouette. Yeah, it's a woman floating, and we kind of see her having this sort of, like, cape thing billowing behind her, or maybe she's wearing a dress. See, it looks like a dress to me, which is why I don't think it's her as the Scarlet Witch. Yeah, I was like, I thought it was someone else, but a lot of people were assuming that it's the Scarlet Witch. I I honestly thought it might be Agatha's mom, and the, like, the, the bits of the, uh... 
Because we do see sort of a bit of the, the power piece. crown. Yeah. yeah. But we also saw a power crown-esque thing appear on Agatha's mother. So. Uh. I hadn't really. I, I think it's more likely that it's Agatha's mother. And that that whole thing with Agatha and her mother is going to come back in the last episode. Mm. Than that it's her as the Scarlet Witch. Because, like I said, the silhouette doesn't look like the Scarlet Witch's silhouette to me. I could be wrong, but that's not what it looks like to me. So, again, I don't think they're going to do this twist. And I I think that, obviously, Agatha's just going to be the villain of the piece. Mm -hmm. But, God, I want her to be Wanda's mentor at the end of this. Because she does seem like she's teaching Wanda as she's going through this. And I know it's also that she can find the source of her power. Uh Uh-huh. But the way she's explaining basic witch stuff... Okay, so we're going to cut to, I, I said I was going to save this for when we do reactions, but you know what? I'm going to talk about it right now. Okay. So this was a post on our Facebook page that was posted by Aaron, who's one of our listeners. And he says, so over at the AV Club Review, a lot of people in the comments seem absolutely convinced that Agatha is not going to turn out to be a villain or is going to be redeemable. Never say never, but one thing used in stories to show someone's pretty irredeemable is often cruelty to animals, and in particular, kicking a dog. Agatha not only killed the dog, but laughed and bragged about it. Yes, subverting tropes is a thing, but I find it impossible the writers would have a character do that and then bring them back to the light, especially in one episode. Mm. So, and then under the comments, uh, Sam wrote, and this is just the first line of what he wrote, he wrote more, but he wrote... I think she's going to be both a villain and an ally. And I was like, yes, there, exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I want for her. I want her to be Wanda's teacher, but not a good person. Like, I want her to be an evil mentor, which yes. is a thing. Also, I've been rereading some of the comics where she first starts training Wanda, mm-hmm. and it's genuinely sinister when she comes into the Avengers because she locks Wanda away from the rest of the Avengers, and she like she has Wanda attack Moondragon when Moondragon tries to read her mind to see what's going on, and Wanda starts speaking with these weird spiky speech bubbles around her. Like it's legitimately sinister because Agatha Harkness again is not a good person. Well, in the Vision series, you showed me that part where she kills the cat in order to get the the prophecy that she needs yeah so yeah she's she can be sinister and be an ally yeah like i i don't think they're gonna play it like that i think that she is gonna be an out and out villain but i will be so happy to be wrong on this front Mm, yes especially because i feel like if she is teaching wanda even though wandavision's not coming back katherine hahn can come back Mm. I I was going to say if she dies at the end of WandaVision, then we can't have Catherine Hahn anymore. But As they, we know <laughs> from Agatha Harkness. Yeah, Agatha Harkness is like dead half the time that she's there. So yeah, we're, she could still come back dead. So in Wanda's room in the Hydra facility, she's sitting on her cot and she is watching the Brady Bunch. And Cindy is playing with her kitty carryall doll that I pointed out in a previous episode. Yeah. And she's playing with it like a baby. It's a baby doll. So she's playing with it like a baby, which just makes me feel 
all of all of the all of the feelings about Wanda and her maternal emotions towards her own kids who may or may not be real children because they were conceived here in Westview and also are definitely in danger from Agatha. So uh, it's uh, makes me feel things. <laughs> Seeing it makes me feel things. Wanda has always been a point of connection for people who've had kids in less than traditional ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that makes, yeah, that makes total sense to me. I can definitely see an affinity for her. And Agatha's like, okay, I feel like that explains a lot of it, that you have this, like, you touched one of the fundamental cosmic cornerstones of the universe. I feel like that explains a lot of it, but I feel like we're not all the way there. I feel like I don't get what constructed this for you, mm-hmm. how how you came to create this. I feel like I have, you know, the the where and the why, but not the what. And then we go on to the next scene in this Wanda Maximoff, This Was Your Life. And she is in the Avengers facility after, after Quicksilver's death. And so this is between Age of Ultron and Civil War. Yes. And she's watching Malcolm in the Middle on TV. And Vision comes in to talk to her and talk to her about how sad she is about her brother. Although first he comically misunderstands slapstick humor and asks, is it funny because of the grievous injury suffered by that man? (laughs) Which is great. I mean, that's. It would be hard to explain slapstick humor to... An alien robot? I I was going to say someone from a culture where that's not a thing, but yes, an alien robot. So, just a little thing, this is backtracking a little bit. Uh, One of the DVDs that Wanda's dad had was a Malcolm in the Middle DVD, which does not work because we know that they... Their tenement got bombed at some point in the 90s, and Malcolm in the Middle didn't come out until 2000. So it doesn't super work, but whatever. Whatever. It's the Marvel Universe. Everything's on a sliding time scale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Malcolm in the Middle came out in January of 2000. But remember how they skipped over the 90s on this show and went straight to Malcolm in the Middle? Mm Mm-hmm. So maybe in the MCU universe, Malcolm in the Middle actually came out in the 90s. There you go. In this world, since Elizabeth Olsen is Wanda Maximoff, there are no Olsen twins, so Full House never exists, so Malcolm in the Middle is created in the 1990s to fill the void. I wonder if Full House was launched under its original concept, which was just three guys who were in the entertainment industry trying to get their careers off the ground, you know, before they're like, you know what, we're going to slap in some kids and make it a family show. I want to see that show. It is interesting how wildly it shifted from pitch to actuality. Yeah, it, it very much is. So we get to the bit that a lot of people were making fun of where... Wanda kind of talks about why she's watching why she's watching sitcoms and she talks about how she just she always feels the need to retreat into a world where everything 
like, like we've mentioned so many times earlier in this episode, where everything follows a certain set of rules. And at the end, everything's okay. Yeah, where pain is just this temporary non-issue. Right. Like, the... The slapstick of Hal getting injured on Malcolm in the Middle, it's its nothing. He stands up and then walks away from the scene, you know? And Wanda, meanwhile, is paralyzed with her grief. Uh, I also, uh, God, I really like the way, because she, she talks about something we mentioned in a previous episode, possible, possibly multiple previous episodes, about how sitcoms have their own internal rhythm. Mm-hmm. And how it can be kind of hard when you're first watching to understand how the world works. But as soon as you understand it, you get what's going to happen. You, it's comfortable. Right. Like, it's not just, it's not just funny. It's comfortable being in these worlds where you know what's going to happen. Yeah. And here comes the line. Mm -hmm. Vision says... That he has never felt grief because he has never loved before. And what is grief if not love persevering? And you know what? That's a fucking amazing line. Like, that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> that's a great line. I, 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 was, I was a mess by this point in the show. I was just, like, sobbing. Mm. Because it's so, it so well expresses what grief feels like. And even him just, like, sitting with her here to comfort her just watching TV together, like, it's it's funny that this show, which is about escaping into television, and that for the first several episodes was just a, a pastiche of various TV shows, is here so very real in a way that, you know, action movies usually are not. So, I kind of love how hard Agnes is to read at this point because there's a bit where she's wiping away just she's wiping something at the corner of her face when it cuts back to her and wanda watching the scene from a third party perspective like perhaps she was crying it's a very odd small gesture because i don't think it's a crying thing but i have a hard time reading what it's supposed to be well, she does it so, like, casually, but I feel like maybe she her, she was tearing up a little. Mm. And, and she's trying to, like, dismiss that because she needs to stay on the mission, which is pushing Wanda over the precipice of her grief so that she remembers what it was that she did to harness all of this power. Like, she has a lot of the pieces, but even on its own, a witch... An untrained witch with access to that much power, she still doesn't understand how Wanda could create all of this. And now we go to the next scene in Wanda's life, and it's her going to the sword facility to get Vision's body back. And this is the scene that we saw the agent use to discredit Wanda, but... Now yeah, Director Whitebread. Yes. Hayward. Hayward. But from Wanda's point of view, we see that she did not barge in anywhere. She went to the front desk and just kind of 
asked to see the manager until finally Hayward told her she could come back. And she did kind of do that striking blow the doors off as she walks through. But that seemed to me more about showing him. She could have done this at any point. Right. And that she waited to be invited in, which is funny because then, of course, he uses that footage to convince Monica of the opposite. Yeah, that she broke in. It is fun to see all of the footage from this completely different perspective where it's like, no, she was invited in. No, she was pushed to do this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And it's like, huh, I guess it turns out that when you, you know, take stuff out of context. Yeah, you can really make someone look like the villain. So Wanda wants the Vision's body because she wants to bury him. And Hayward's like, I'm sorry, but that's not a thing we can let you do. That's not a safe thing. This guy was a living bioweapon who was made out of some of the most expensive materials on Earth. Yeah, I mean, he's made out of vibranium. At this point in time, the only vibranium that the Americans have access to, because it's all in Wakanda, Mm -hmm. the only vibranium that Americans have access to is Captain America's shield. That is the sole amount of vibranium. (laughs) So, yeah. So, now they have a whole dude's worth. So, Hayward takes her to where Vision's body is being disassembled, and she naturally freaks out because she's like, what are you doing to him? And Hayward's like, we can't just leave him all in one piece. Like, it, it is very dangerous to have his body even all in one place right now. So, we're going to take him apart, and we're going to spread him out all over to thoroughly decommission him. And she's like, he's a person. You can't do that. And he's like, well, unless you can use your magic to bring him back to life, can you use your magic to bring him back to life? Which is interesting because this is Hayward doing the exact same thing that Agatha did when she killed Sparky. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is literally him bringing her in and being like, I need to know what you can do. Like, I need to know if this, if bringing him back is something you are capable of. Although in this case, I'm sure he wants to know if Wanda has that kind of power. But mostly what he wants is to have access to the weapon that is Vision. Hmm. Whereas for Agatha, finding out about Wanda's power was the, the end in itself. I mean... I could really honestly see Agatha's end goal being to bring her mother back and or the coven. Hmm, interesting. She is, Agatha, is the mother of the Salem Seven in the comics. So I can see her kind of wanting to raise up a new Salem Seven. Yeah. Uh, Or honestly, she could have lost her kid and she could be looking for Wanda to bring Nick Scratch. Turn him back from a rabbit. I was thinking bringing back from the dead because she seemed very interested in how Wanda brought specifically the vision back from the dead. But Mm, yes. So when Wanda approaches the body, Hayward kind of keeps needling her about, you know, if she can bring vision back, if their connection is that strong. Mm -hmm. And she ends up shattering the glass and, you know, one of the bits because she's behind She's watching this dissection happen from behind glass and she she shatters the glass and she goes in and she tries to use her powers to bring Vision back. But he's he's not in the body. He's not there. Yeah, his his spirit, whatever makes him Vision is gone. 
and she leaves. She leaves the body there. She walks out without the vision's body. So we see her go into the parking lot. We see her get into her car. God, is it weird that Wanda has a car? I know. I was I was actually thinking how it felt so much like the way that it, it felt like a product placement, especially when we get the long shot of the car driving away. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it, it might be. I should check the credits and see if there was promotional consideration. But it it was kind of glaring, honestly. So she looks there. There's a little um, there's a little envelope sitting in the passenger seat that she looks at. She drives into Westview. I don't know how. I know you you used to work. Uh, you did surveying, right? I did not do surveying, but I did have to drive across large swaths of of the state I lived in. Yeah, you worked for uh, what's what's the office? HUD, uh, Housing and Urban Development. Yeah, you worked for HUD. Yeah, uh, I was their contracted lawyer. Yeah, I thought this this might. It really reminded me of when I was looking at colleges mm-hmm. when I was a teenager. Uh, there, there was a college I was looking for. Uh, I was looking at that was in upstate New York, and I ended up driving with my parents across New York State, mm-hmm. and we drove through. Uh, we saw a bunch of them, but we we actually stopped for lunch in a dying town, and they have there. There's a lot of them in America. It's it's a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, industries dry up. There, there's not jobs anymore, and you can sort of. I'm I'm sure you're familiar with it if you're an American who's traveled even a little bit. I mean. It's a thing that's not hard to encounter, but we drove through this dying town and there's just an energy they have mm-hmm. that I feel like this this bit does a really good job of capturing a town that used to be a place. And now there are all these shuttered businesses and everyone who's there is kind of... A town that died when the freeway came in, a town that used to have a bustling main street, but now it's just a bunch of old looking buildings that have like maybe one shop in them yeah 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 i did i did when i was driving through alabama that was the state i worked in i did end up driving through a lot of towns that looked like this and there's just you sort of get the sense of loss Mm -hmm. um then wanda pulls up to this house in the suburbs well a lot a lot an, an empty lot that has not yet had a house built on it. And this is interesting to me because this is not a planned development. So it's odd that there would even be an empty lot in a development like this in New Jersey. So, I mean, this seems familiar to me in that, like, if there was a house that burned down... Someone might have been like, you know what, it's not worth it to rebuild here. See, what I was thinking is, because we learn that what was in that folder was a deed to the property, and that Vision has written on it, he's he's drawn a heart around the vacant lot and written to grow old in. 
Mm-hmm. And the heart, remembered, like just like the heart that we saw drawn on the calendar. Yeah, before. in the first episode. Yeah. But my point about the lot was that it would be weird for there to be an empty lot in this particular subdivision. So this is probably a house that has been knocked down specifically so that Vision could build the house, could design the house specifically for them. Mm. And then, of course, this is what Wanda is about to do. Design not just the house, but the entire town specifically for them. I mean, I think her grief is pretty well done here. And she is so grieved that it literally bursts from her chest and it spills out across, at at first, just the lot. And we see the house building around her from the energy that's exuding from her chest. And here's the thing. None of us have ever done that. Mm -hmm. But that sure is what grief feels like. None of us have ever griefed at a house. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So something I really like about this is that there's been a thing where apparently comic shops have been pushing House of M as like, you know, if you like WandaVision, you should read House of M, which Ooh, I think maybe is... maybe not so much. Yeah, I don't get it. I guess it's an alternate reality thing. Why aren't they pushing Year in the Life? That's clearly what they should be pushing yeah. if you like WandaVision. Or even the Vision Mini, which I know isn't your favorite, but... But it relates more. Yeah. And... Yeah, yeah, and the thing about that is, like, I I get it if it was, if, you know, oh, House of M is the vaguely related story that's in print, but the thing is, House of M isn't in print either, so... Well, A Year in the Life is in in print. Is it? Oh, I don't know. Actually, now that I say that, I'm not sure. But, I mean, this series pulls way more from A Year in the Life than from House of M. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. This I don't know. I feel like there's this problem, like, when I watched the Cloak and Dagger TV series, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my god, I love this series! And so I went and I bought a Cloak and Dagger trade, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, I, I really like this series. <laughs> I feel like you get more out of A Year in the Life than you would out of House of M. Oh, yeah, Definitely. I just mean that, like, if you watch the series and you're like, oh my god, I love the Scarlet Witch, you might not have a lot of really good options. Yeah, I love Wanda Maximoff as a character. Huge, huge fan. She's almost never written well. Like, my fandom can boil down to basically, I I think I made a thing about this a few years ago, but it can basically be boiled down to, like, a half dozen pages, 12 non-consecutive panels, <laughs> yes, three appearances in animated series that aren't linked to each other at all. Like, I love Wanda Maximoff in spite of most of the things that are written about her. Well, as uh, some people who listen to us may know from, from my past projects, uh, my favorite superhero is She-Hulk. Mm. The difference is She-Hulk has some really good runs. She-Hulk has amazing runs. I was just going to say that I do love Scarlet Witch when she shows up in... Dan Slott's run? Yeah, in the Dan Slott run. I mean, they do end up blaming her for a lot of stuff later in that, but, you know, everyone was blaming Wanda for everything in that time period, so... Well, it's because of all the shit from House of M. Mm. So brought it back around. Yeah. So she... Grief explodes, and then she kind of 
barfs up the vision. Yeah, we see the vision basically being pulled from out of her chest. It's interesting because her energy signature for when she's creating everything, I forgot the whole reason I brought up House of M, is because they used the reality building blocks version of her powers from House of M, mm -hmm. which is a cool visual signifier. I do like the visual signifier of her reconstructing reality in the form of these like little cubes that make up reality. Yeah. Her her grief energy signature is uh, uh, is black and red, but when Vision is reconstituting, he's yellow. Yeah, you know where we saw the yellow energy signature? The Mind Stone. The Mind Stone! So I just want to point that out, since Vision himself was animated by the Mind Stone, and the power that Wanda has inside of her is also Mind Stone power, this Vision is really Vision, even though he was made from Wanda's grief and not from his body parts. Thank God we don't have to deal with any of the dumb Simon Williams brainwave crap. I always hated that about the vision. When his brain was Wonder Man's brain? Yeah, like, and then, like, when he died and they brought him back as White Vision, which we might have to talk about a little bit later. Mm -hmm. But as White Vision, Wonder Man's like, I'm not giving him... Like, the the last thing that was needed to make him fully whole again was Wonder Man's brain patterns. And Wonder Man's like, well, Wanda won't want to... Wanda won't want to date me if Vision's not dead anymore. So, no, I'm not going to give him my brain patterns. Not cool. And I was like, I don't think Wanda would want to date you if you refused to do the thing that would bring her husband back from the dead. Okay, I, I get that you don't like the whole thing where in the comics... Vision is made up of the body of the robot human torch who predates Fantastic Four mm. and the brain waves of Wonder Man. Yeah. But I do love the part in Year in the Life where Wonder Man's mom accepts Vision as another one of her sons. Yeah. Especially That's... since she already blew uh Sherry blew with the Grim Reaper. <laughs> Honestly, Vision's kind of her least shitty kid. Yeah, by a lot. Mm. I just wanted to point out before we move on the cinematography where we see the vision being pulled out of Wanda's chest and the camera swoops around so that we see this being reflected in the television that Wanda has just created in the living room. Yeah. It's a fun bit of cinematography. Mm -hmm. And once the dust settles... Everything is in black and white, like we saw in the first episode, except for Wanda. God, I just, I love the way the camera moves. Like, she takes a couple of steps towards the vision, and then we cut to a low angle, and she's in her first episode form. Mm-hmm. Like, she just, she literally steps into the world. Yeah, we she steps forward, and we see her feet, her little kitten heels in black and white and then when the camera pans up she's she is episode one wanda maximov and she sits down on the couch with vision and they watch some tv and real wanda appears behind them and then the camera shows us the fourth wall yeah it it's uh, it's actually it's the same thing from the agatha all along song yeah where it pulls back, and before it just pulled back to show Agatha at a director's chair. And this was during the Modern Family episode, so it just pulled back to show Agatha 
being the interviewer hmm. talking to Wanda. But now we see the entire studio audience. I mean, there's not an audience there, but we see the the stands for the studio audience with just Agatha sitting in the audience and you know the three camera setup, the three cameras on the rails mm. pioneered by Lucille Ball for her TV show. So we kind of skipped over it, but the way that Agatha convinced Wanda to go literally down memory lane was by reminding her that she had Billy and Tommy captured somewhere. Okay, so when I said never give your hair to a witch, I guess I should have added, unless you think it's the only way to keep your kids safe. Yeah, because we pull back to Agatha clapping sarcastically in the studio audience, and then we hear Billy and Tommy crying out for Wanda's help. They're they're yelling, and Wanda kind of snaps out of it, Agatha's gone. Wanda runs out the door of Agatha's house because they're back in the house now. And Agatha's in the middle of the street, hovering in midair, wearing the classic Agatha Harkness costume. Yes. And she has Billy and Tommy mystically by the throat. They're these sort of purple strings tied around their throats. Mm -hmm. They're on the ground underneath her. And she tells Wanda that she is the thing that has been prophesized, a chaos witch who can create things out of nothing, and that she is the Scarlet Witch. Okay, I love this bit. I hate prophecy stuff because prophecies are a lazy storytelling device. But she talks about, she's like, you can use chaos magic freaking chaos magic and you're you're using this raw primordial force to play house in the suburbs and it kind of reminded me of that speech from bewitched yes about what you know about you know where andora is upset with samantha because she was a witch and she's chosen to live as a human instead i'm gonna i'm gonna pull up the speech uh, we are Quicksilver, a fleeting shadow, a distant sound. Our home has no boundaries beyond what we cannot pass. We live in music, in the flash of color. We live on the wind and in the sparkle of a star. And you traded it all for a half acre of crabgrass. Oh, yeah. I... It, it's weird. It's, it's funny. Um, having said, Agatha can be both the villain and an ally. Man, if that's not what Endora is. Mm. So just like last week, we have an after credit sequence. Turns out they got a little spark of Wanda's magic from when the Vision tried to break through and he was all kerploding. No, no, it's from the bomb that she threw back at them. Oh, right, right, right. The, uh, yeah. It turns out, oops, that was infused with her power and they somehow... I don't know, activated the magic. They got the magic out of it. And yeah, Hayward still has the Vision's corpse. And they fire up the machines. They jam the energy from the missile into Vision's corpse and bring it back online. And it is all white, which I'm assuming is a reference to, you know, the emotionless Vision from West Coast Avengers who lost all of his color and was white because he didn't have Simon Williams' brainwaves. Which makes sense because... As we know, the vision was 
as I've said like five times, the vision was animated by the Mind Stone, which they don't have. So really, the vision's mind is in the construct that Wanda created. Yeah. So a lot of people are like, oh, this is just going to go in the whole like West Coast, e- e- West Coast Avengers evil vision direction. I'm like, okay, come on. There's no way that the next episode doesn't involve Wanda metaphysically shoving brain vision up, you know, corpse vision's butt and bringing him back to life. For pardon, real. Yeah, pardon my French. In a way that he can leave Westview. Yeah, and a lot of people were like, well, when that, because I said that more or less on Twitter, and and somebody was like, wouldn't that undermine the, uh, you know, message about grief that the show is doing? And I like this show a lot. You can't sell action figures of grief. That is true. Also, it doesn't take away anything that we've experienced. Like, her finding her way through and getting Vision back doesn't take away any of, of the catharsis we've had. Mm. Specifically. Like, because she went through hell to get the vision back it's not it's not cheap like if if this ends with wanda and vision together and happy which by the way is what i want i will feel like that ending has been earned Mm. i'm not sure how that would tie into her being in the next doctor strange movie though so well they can be happy for now Mm. i mean honestly i feel like this series is gonna end with her looking for her kids oh that makes me upset i hope that's not the case Oh, that might be the case. Oh. Honestly, one of the theories I was running with for a little while is that uh, Billy and Tommy are going to age themselves up one last time to help her fight Agatha. Mm. Yeah, I like that. But I don't know. I feel like that might be Wanda searching the multiverse for her kids might be her involvement in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Magic. But uh, that is the end of this episode. Uh, did you? you I don't to? think we're really doing Easter eggs anymore because we're kind of. It's its own thing now. Yeah, we've kind of moved past the. Although, although all white vision is a reference to vision post revival in West Coast Avengers when he had no emotions and was kind of a dick all the time. Yes, and I mean, obviously, we talked about the uh, walnut episode of Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, which isn't really an Easter egg as much as it is foundational to the plot. <laughs> As much as it's an explicitly stated theme. Yes. <laughs> so I guess that's going to do it until next week when yeah. we do our final episode of Welcome to Westview. All right. I, it's been a good journey. I'm glad we decided to do this podcast. I am too. I've really enjoyed this. This is, we do our other two podcasts we do on Charmed, the old Charmed, mm-hmm. and Farscape, and I've had so much fun doing this. This almost makes me want to do another podcast about a show that's on the air. But I don't know what it would, I don't know what show we would do. But I'm just throwing that out there. This does make me want to do another ongoing show. Yeah. Um, Honestly, they kind of have to whiff the last episode really hard to make me regret watching this. Because I'm not saying it's impossible because shows have definitely done it before. But I feel like messing up the ending of this sort of thing is more when you have a long running show but you're committed to having a certain ending mm-hmm. like game of thrones or how i met your mother yeah i feel like it's harder to screw up an ending in a thing where you knew you only had so many episodes to tell a complete story i mean it's cliche to say this but this isn't so much a tv show as it is a nine episode movie 
in that they had the story laid out before they started. You know, we, we can just say miniseries. It's based on, uh, like, Marvel does miniseries. Like, the comics do miniseries. Yes, yes. I but that's, like... not, that's not the cliche, though. <laughs> yes, that is not the cliche. All right, so I guess that'll about do it. Yeah, I guess that'll do it for us. Our show's partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, and Kate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. Uh, we can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Westview.